The Twonky by Henry Kuttner and C.L. Moore Part 2 Time, said Carrie Westerfield, is curved. Eventually it gets back to the same place where it started. That's duplication. He put his feet up on a conveniently outjutting rock of the chimney and stretched luxuriously. From the kitchen, Martha made clinking noises with bottles and glasses. Yesterday, at this time, I had a martini, Carrie said. The time curve indicates that I should have another one now. Are you listening, Angel? I'm pouring, said the Angel, distantly. You get my point, then. Here's another. Time describes a spiral instead of a circle. If you call the first cycle A, the second one's A plus I, see? Which means a double martini tonight. I knew where that would end, Martha remarked, coming into the spacious, oak-raftered living room. She was a small, dark-haired woman with a singularly pretty face and a figure to match. Her tiny gingham apron looked slightly absurd in combination with the slacks and silk blouse. And they don't make infinity-proof gin. Here's your martini. She did things with the shaker and manipulated glasses. Stir slowly, Carrie cautioned. Never shake. Ah, that's it. He accepted the drink and eyed it appreciatively. Black hair sprinkled with gray gleamed in the lamplight as he sipped the martini. Mm, good. Very good. Martha drank slowly and eyed her husband. A nice guy, Carrie Westerfield. He was forty-odd, pleasantly ugly, with a wide mouth, with an occasional sardonic gleam in his gray eyes as he contemplated life. They had been married for twelve years, and liked it. From outside, the late, faint glow of sunset came through the windows, picking out the console cabinet that stood against the wall by the door. Carrie peered at it with appreciation. A pretty penny, he remarked. Still, what? Oh, the men had a tough time getting it up the stairs. Why don't you try it, Carrie? Didn't you? The old one was complicated enough, Martha said in a baffled manner. Gadgets, they confuse me. I was brought up on an Edison. You wound it up with a crank, and strange noises came out of a horn. That I could understand. But now you push a button and extraordinary things happen. Electric eyes, tone selections, records that get played on both sides, to the accompaniment of weird groanings and clickings from inside the console. Probably you understand those things. I don't even want to. Whenever I play a Crosby record in a super-duper like that, Bing seems embarrassed. Carrie ate his olive. I'm going to play some Debussy. He nodded toward a table. There's a new Crosby record for you. The latest. Martha wriggled happily. Can I? Maybe, huh? Uh-huh. But you'll have to show me how. Simple enough, said Carrie, beaming at the console. Those babies are pretty good, you know. They do everything but think. I wish they'd wash the dishes, Martha remarked. She set down her glass, got up and vanished to the kitchen. Carrie snapped on a lamp nearby and went over to examine the new radio, Mid-Eastern's latest model, 
with all the new improvements. It had been expensive, but what the hell, he could afford it. And the old one had been pretty well shot. It was not he saw plugged in, nor were there any wires in evidence, not even a ground. Something new, perhaps? Built-in antenna and ground? Carrie crouched down, looked for a socket, and plugged the cord into it. That done, he opened the doors and eyed the dials with every appearance of satisfaction. A beam of bluish light shot out and hit him in the eyes. From the depths of the console, a faint, thoughtful clicking proceeded. Abruptly, it stopped. Carrie blinked, fiddled with the dials and switches, and bit at a fingernail. The radio said, in a distant voice, Psychology pattern checked and recorded. Eh? Carrie twirled a dial. Wonder what that was? Amateur station? No, they're off the air. Hmm. He shrugged and went over to a chair beside the shelves of albums. His gaze ran swiftly over the titles and composers' names. Where was the swan of Tuonella? Well, there it was, next to Finlandia. Carrie took down the album and opened it in his lap. With his free hand, he extracted a cigarette from his pocket, put it between his lips, and fumbled for the matches on the table beside him. The first match he lit went out. He tossed it into the fireplace and was about to reach for another when a faint noise caught his attention. The radio was walking across the room toward him. A whip-like tendril flicked out from somewhere, picked up a match, scratched it beneath the tabletop, as Carrie had done, and held the flame to the man's cigarette. Automatic reflexes took over. Carrie sucked in his breath and exploded in smoky, racking coughs. He bent double, gasping and momentarily blind. When he could see again, the radio was back in its accustomed place. Carrie caught his lower lip between his teeth. Martha, he called. Soup's on, her voice said. Carrie didn't answer. He stood up, went over to the radio and looked at it, hesitantly. The electric cord had been pulled out of its socket. Carrie gingerly replaced it. He crouched to examine the console's legs. They looked like finely finished wood. His exploratory hand told him nothing. Wood, hard and brittle. How in hell... Dinner! Martha called. Carrie threw his cigarette into the fireplace and slowly walked out of the room. His wife, setting a gravy boat in place, stared at him. How many martinis did you have? Just one, Carrie said in a vague way. I must have dozed off for a minute. Yeah, I must have. Well, fall to, Martha commanded. This is the last chance you'll have to make a pig of yourself on my dumplings. For a week, anyway. Carrie absently felt for his wallet, took out an envelope and tossed it at his wife. Here's your ticket, Angel. Don't lose it. Oh, I rate a compartment! Martha thrust the pasteboard back into its envelope and gurgled happily. You're a pal. Sure you can get along without me? Huh? Mm, 
I think so. Carrie salted his avocado. He shook himself and seemed to come out of a slight daze. Sure, I'll be all right. You trot off to Denver and help Carol have her baby. It's all in the family. Well, my only sister, Martha grinned. You know how she and Bill are. Quite nuts. They'll need a steadying hand just now. There was no reply. Carrie was brooding over a forkful of avocado. He muttered something about the venerable bead. Well, what about him? Lecture tomorrow. Every term we bog down on the bead for some strange reason. Oh, well. Got your lecture ready? Carrie nodded. Sure. For eight years he had taught at the university, and he certainly should know the schedule by this time. Later, over coffee and cigarettes, Martha glanced at her wristwatch. Nearly train time. I'd better finish packing. The dishes... I'll do them. Carrie wandered after his wife into the bedroom and made motions of futile helpfulness. After a while, he carried the bags down to the car. Martha joined him, and they headed for the depot. The train was on time. Half an hour after it had pulled out, Carrie drove the car back into the garage, let himself into the house, and yawned mightily. He was tired. Well, the dishes and then beer and a book in bed. With a puzzled look at the radio, he entered the kitchen and started on the dishes. The hall phone rang. Carrie wiped his hands on a dish towel and answered it. It was Mike Fitzgerald who taught psychology at the university. Hiya, Fritz. Hiya. Martha gone? Yeah, I just drove her to the train. Feel like talking then? I've got some pretty good scotch. Why not run over and gab a while? Like to, Carrie said, yawning again. But I'm dead. Tomorrow's a big day. Rain check? Sure. I just finished correcting papers, and I felt the need of sharpening my mind. What's the matter? Nothing. Wait a minute. Carrie put down the phone and looked over his shoulder, scowling. Noises were coming from the kitchen. What the hell? He went along the hall and stopped in the doorway, motionless and staring. The radio was washing... The dishes. After a while, he returned to the phone. Fitzgerald said, Something? My new radio, Carrie told him carefully. It's washing the dishes. Fitz didn't answer for a moment. His laugh was a bit hesitant. <laughs> oh? I'll call you back, Carrie said and hung up. He stood motionless for a while, chewing his lip. Then he walked back to the kitchen and paused to watch. The radio's back was toward him. Several limber tentacles were manipulating the dishes, expertly sousing them in hot, soapy water, scrubbing them with a little mop, dipping them back into the rinse water, and then stacking them neatly in the metal rack. Those whiplashes were the only sign of unusual activity. The legs were apparently solid. Hey, Carrie said. There was no response.
He sidled around till he could examine the radio more closely. The tentacles emerged from a slot under one of the dials. The electric cord was dangling. No juice, then. But what? Carrie stepped back and fumbled out a cigarette. Instantly the radio turned, took a match from its container on the stove, and walked forward. Carrie blinked, steadying the legs. They couldn't be wood. They were bending as the... the thing moved, elastic as rubber. The radio had a peculiar sidling motion, unlike anything else on Earth. It lit Carrie's cigarette and went back to the sink, where it resumed the dishwashing. <laughs>